Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of the Yard. It is the beginning of college baseball season. We have waited a long time for this. But at the same time, it feels like just yesterday that we won a national championship. Uh, that never gets old. We're still celebrating, and we'll celebrate for a few minutes on Friday, and then we're going to begin the journey to Omaha in earnest. I'm excited about it. I know you guys are as well. We're going to preview Long Beach State later in the show. Excited about it, to say the least. I want to give you guys an update to a dog pile shipping update. As you guys are aware, we, we identified a problem on Monday. I want to give you a little backstory on this because I believe in full transparency. So I went down there and, uh, you know, signed, I guess, about 3,500 books. D- down there is uh, Madison. Uh, back right after the books were delivered uh, two weeks ago today. Went down there, spent the weekend signing books, and then next thing you know... We get those things in the mail, and I started getting a few messages from you guys. Now, you always get some of that, and there's always some of that. People are eager. People have waited a long time, and they haven't gotten their books yet. And so there's just some of that, you know, and you start thinking, well, that's just kind of part of the process. You know, we did all the, you know, Flim Flam, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs. There's always a few. I mean, when you're you're shipping thousands of books, there's going to be, you know, a few that, that go astray. But I was getting more messages than normal and uh, reached out to my agent and said, hey, I'm kind of getting crushed out here. I'm getting a lot of messages from people that aren't getting books. And so they began to investigate it. And then on Monday of this week, they identified the problem. Basically, there was a technical issue with the dogpilethebook.com website. When they printed out all your orders, the September orders did not print. And that actually went into some of the early orders in October. So they printed all those up, and uh, I went back down there Tuesday evening and signed another, you know, I guess about 450 to, I guess probably more than that, probably like 550 books to get those orders out, but also, too, to give them some additional stock to work with with a signature on it. And so they have spent Wednesday and Thursday pretty much tirelessly working through getting those books out. You guys are beginning to get them. So now uh, there were about 200 books went to the post office on Wednesday and 200 or so on Thursday. There are about 100 left, and the majority of those will go on Friday. There will be a few that will linger probably even into Monday. And the reason for that is there was a – they ran out of boxes. And then there are some of these companies are limiting what you can buy in boxes. And I've shared that. I've actually had a couple of people that work in that industry that said, hey, Steve, if this ever happens again, you call us. We'll, we'll make sure you guys are taken care of. And you guys are so awesome about that sort of stuff. So uh, it has been a bit of an ordeal, and I, I do my best to apologize, even though it's not my fault. It is my name on the book. And many of you have reached out to me, and I've shared your order numbers uh, you know, with the staff there, with the publisher, and they've researched this. And, and many of you, as you have contacted me, I have gotten responses back You know, within – 
you know, a couple of hours that your book is either shipped or about to ship. So to put it bluntly, we have uh, never seen sales of this magnitude in such a short time. And our staff has kind of struggled to keep up. Uh, and so we're getting it handled. And then there are some online orders that have taken place here in the last uh, week to 10 days that are still to get out. Those will go out next. But don't don't fret because we're not going to run out of those books. Those books have been set aside for you all. They are reserved for you. And so you're not going to run the risk of, hey, I ordered and didn't get a book. That's not going to happen. Okay. Uh, there will be some book signings. I will be this. I'm recording this late Thursday night. So uh, this will be you know, posted, of course, uh, early, early Friday morning. I will be downtown at, at uh, Book Martin Cafe today uh, from 1030 to around 1230. And then on Saturday, I will be at Campus Bookmart uh, approximately the same time, probably closer to 10 on Saturday. I've got some people coming to do some work uh, Friday morning. So as a result, uh, I'll be a, probably a little bit later getting to Bookmart and Cafe. And then, uh, you know, then we'll have some signings next week. And so we had originally planned to be in Tupelo on Thursday at Reed's Gumtree Bookstore for the first time. Excited about that. And you guys, if you're in the Tupelo area, go by and and buy those books. But uh, today's signing had to be rescheduled due to the threat of inclement weather. That has now been moved to Tuesday. So you're not going to have to wait long. I'll be there Tuesday in Tupelo. That runs, I think, uh, 4 to 5.30. And uh, we'll we'll firm that up for you on Monday. But I believe that's the case. That's out there on social media in case you're wondering. Uh, But yeah, it has been a real process. And so basically in less than two weeks time we have received books we have signed thousands of books and we have shipped nearly five thousand books and again we're down to about a little bit less than a hundred that still have to go out and if you're one of those again i'm sorry but we will get that to you i know it's very frustrating you know you order your books early you you get in line and the next thing you know there is a delay Uh, but the reality of it is is that uh, we are working through it and uh, you guys have been great. I would say 99% of you have been like, hey, Steve, I just want to make sure things are going. And so what happens is many of you have either received some confirmation. Uh, once your, your shipping label has been printed and your order completed, uh, you, you generally get a notification. Now, not everybody gets a notification. I don't know if it goes to your spam or, or there's some filter on your email that prevents that from happening. But usually once you get that, that means that your book is uh, ready to go to the post office. And so if that has happened with you, you can rest assured it's on the way. And that's not to say you should panic if you hadn't got one. Either you will get one but we've had, or, or your book will show up. We've had some people that never got the notification but still got their books. Uh, so it's not a consistent protocol. I, don't, I can't explain it, uh, but the reality of it is is that there are some people that you don't know that are working awfully hard to ensure that you get your books and um, – Again, it's, it's unlike anything that we've seen. You know, Flim Flam was a monster. And this is going to easily surpass everything we did with Flim Flam because of how special this book is. And I don't just say that out of arrogance or haughtiness, but the reality of it is it is more of a keepsake book. And so if you haven't ordered, you go to dogpilethebook.com or you can just pick it up at one of these great bookstores around the state of Mississippi. And there are several that are carried. And, of course, Turn Row in Greenwood has a signed stock of all five books there. Several vendors in Starkville, you know, Campus Bookmart, uh, Bookmart and Cafe, Maroon and Company, Liza Tye, and uh, Barnes and Noble near campus. That also uh, is taken care of. Ridgeland, Barnes and Noble, Lemuria Books in Jackson, College Corner also uh, in Ridgeland. And so we got a lot of stuff going. Uh, Barnes and Noble in Tupelo, 
I can't even begin to, to run them all off right now because they just kind of escaped the mind. It has been a real blur, and I'll be honest with you, I'm tired. Uh, I am I am tired, and I look forward to going to bed tonight. I went to bed last night after a long night. I got home Tuesday night at, uh, around 1.30 in the morning, so really Wednesday morning, and then got up at 6 just because I was so conscious that I couldn't oversleep to get the kid to school. And uh, have been checking in periodically throughout the day, the last couple of days, uh, with the publisher to make sure that things are on track and to see if I can offer any assistance. But I, I'm your advocate. You know, you guys believed in me and you ordered these books because you believed in me and, uh, and you enjoyed the writing. And so it's important. And you guys have been so great. Uh, like, I'll put it out there and people will mess me. Hey, Steve, don't worry about this. It's all going to be okay. And, and I know that it will be. It's just I take it so personally. You know, I work so hard for this. I want you guys to have your books. And, you know, it's just unfortunate that many of the people that ordered first are going to get them last. And, and that's just that's just something that doesn't sit well with me. But, again, it's just part of the process. And uh, i got a lot of people involved in this for the first time. And they're, they're working their way through it. And uh, so that's where we are. And I want to continue to share that with you. And you're going to be taken care of. It's as simple as that. And, again, many of you today will receive your books you've been waiting for. And then some will linger into the weekend. And then, uh, you know, I would say midweek next week, all that will be taken care of. And so, again, we're going we're gonna to get ready to do it all again soon because uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we're going to be out of books in the warehouse by the end of the month. There will still be some books in stores that will take you on into March. But uh, with several Bulldog baseball weekends coming up, uh, that inventory will be depleted much sooner rather than later. And it looks like the second printing will be delivered uh, late April, and that could even leak into early May. We just we don't really know, as we saw, you know, originally they told us Christmas, but uh, you know things have uh, have cleared up a little bit in the supply chain, uh, not the way we'd like it to be. It usually takes about six to eight weeks to print one of these books. It's been a much different situation this go around. So we work, we will sell out. We will sell out of the first printing. But that doesn't mean that there aren't more books to be had because there will be. And what we're going to do, too, once the warehouse is empty, we will direct you to vendors and say, hey, listen, people will contact me. Hey, Steve, where can I get the book? And I'll be happy to share that. And we'll share that regularly. Uh, and I would encourage you to you know, follow your favorite bookstore on, um, on social media and kind of keep up with that. And we'll have some book signings coming up and a lot of things that we'll share. I'll be in Columbus next Thursday for the first time at Friendly City Books, and they are the, are, already have uh, stock in hand. I think they have four of the five books, maybe Blooms of Oleanders, the only thing they don't, and we'll, have them, we'll bring them stock next week. So if you're looking for that, uh, you'll be able to purchase that there as well. Very, very appreciative of all of you and of all the, uh, the vendors that have been so gracious to carry the books over the years. It means so much to me that so many people are involved in this and uh, want to help us, and specifically me, uh, sell books and provide you guys with uh, you know something hopefully that you'll cherish uh, for a long long time all right let's thank our good friends at bulldog burger company longtime sponsors of this show i plan to eat there one day next week it has been a very busy week i didn't get a chance to to kind of cure my craving for a bulldog burger this week maybe 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 tomorrow but we'll see definitely next week uh, i love going in there because i know what i'm going to get i'm going to get my money's worth I'm going to get a great portion I'm going to get at a great price with a great service. And it's not just specific to me. These people know what they're doing. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, of course, the brand-new in Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridge and Flowood area. Go by and check them out. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. Uh, they'll make you and everybody around you better looking. And I'll tell you, if you're looking for a great dessert, 
because I'm a bit of a bread pudding connoisseur. I don't know if you know that about me. It's true. Should probably be on my resume and my Twitter bio, but I am a bread pudding connoisseur, and they have the Shipley Donuts bread pudding at Bulldog Burger Company. A really nice addition, nice way to cap off the meal, a bit of a palate cleanser. I like it a lot. And maybe if you don't want to go that route, maybe get you that chocolate shake to go. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M E A T. All right, since we've been together, we've lost a couple of basketball games. I don't like it any more than you do. And I'll be honest with you, losing that game at Alabama, even though I expected to lose, that that one stung me a little bit more than some of the other ones. And I can't really explain why that is. I know we had beaten them. Uh, you know, Shackelford, I don't think, was 100%. He may not have even played the first game. But even though I, I didn't expect us to win, we had a real opportunity. And it felt like, you know, for a while there, we were the better team. We had a stretch there in the second half where I thought we really outplayed them and played with some real toughness that maybe hadn't always been there. But unfortunately, like many of our other games, in the final four minutes, we simply fold down the stretch. You know, I've said many times before, and I I believe this, and I don't think it'll ever change, that coaching wins and loses close ball games. I thought that Nate Oates' little – temper tantrum really ignited his team and when that happened I said you know what either we're fixing to to hammer these guys and put them away or they're going to come back to win the game and they did let's take a quick look at the ball game 34 30 is your uh, your halftime score there and so it was still you know very much a game at 34 30 and it felt like you know even we made the lake run there that uh you know we hit the locker room probably with more confidence, you know, perhaps than uh, many people expected us to have. We have had some games over at Coleman Coliseum that uh, were not good. They simply were not good. This was a really good basketball game and one that I feel like we should have won. Uh, Second half, they open up, and Quinterly, we talked about him on Wednesday's show. He is very much an irritant. You know, he's a guy you look up and, you know, next thing you know, he's the open shooter and can, can knock down a three. He pushes the lead out to seven, and then Cam Carter gets going. And Cam Carter's the guy that we're really high on. We think he's got a bright future in maroon and white. He comes in, hits back-to-back threes. Uh, that, that kind of bookends around a Javon Quinterly uh, layup, and all of a sudden it's a three-point game. And it really felt like, hey, if we're going to be able to, to make some baskets in the perimeter, we got a shot here. And I thought that the play there at the 1830 mark when Iverson Molinar drove in the lane and as they begin to collapse, he kicks it out to Cam and Cam knocks it in uh, 39-36 and he just kind of felt like, hey, we're here to fight. You might beat us, but we're not going to quit. A little bit later in the game, of course, they, uh, you know, we trade possessions there, trade turnovers, and, um, and they go up five. The next thing you know, they're up seven. And then DJ Jeffries hits a three. We've talked about needing that breakout game from DJ. I thought he had perhaps one of his better games in the Mississippi State uniform against Alabama. Really, really set the tone early when Molinar was struggling to find the shot. DJ Jeffries kind of helped carry some of the scoring load. Alinar, it's Alinar. Iverson Molinar hits a three at the 16-minute mark that pulls us within three at a 45-42 score there. And again, it felt like we're right there in it. We trade baskets, and the next thing you know, Cam Carter hits a big three to tie the game at 15.08. At this point, it felt like we had all the juice, and Coleman Coliseum was pretty quiet. 
And that's a place, too, that will eat you alive. When the home team gets rolling, that crowd is really kind of a six-player. They really take over. But I thought we did a good job of kind of taking the crowd out of the ball game uh, during the middle part of the second half. Darius Miles hits a three. Now, what do we do? We answer right back. Shaquille Moore knocks down a three. All of a sudden, you know, it's a three-point shooting contest, and the Bulldogs are holding their own. 13-01 to go. They get a jumper to go up two, make, make a couple free throws to push it back out to 54, and then Cam Matthews with a pretty athletic play there to heave it home uh, to cut, the, cut it to within two. It's a 54-52 ball game. Uh, they get a free throw, miss another, uh, and then it's a 55-52 game. And then Molinar makes the jumper. We start getting him going. He makes the free throw on the hoop and harm. And now it's a tie ball game at 10-37. And it just felt like State had the ability to maybe steal one here. It felt like Alabama was beginning to panic a little bit. We really showed some composure here. And I really felt like, hey, we're playing some of our best basketball of the year in a hostile environment, in a place that has been kind of a house of horrors for us, maybe we have a shot here. Maybe we've got a shot. We trade some, trade some empty possessions here. The next thing you know, State takes the lead on an Iverson Molinar free throw. Misses the front end of that, which is a rarity for him. But next thing you know, it's 56-55 Mississippi State. They miss a three, and next thing you know, there's a technical foul called. The first. Molinar steps up, calmly makes them both. They go back and hit a basket to make it 58-57 Mississippi State. Then there's a second technical foul, and Nate Oates is ejected. Now, if you saw that on TV, and I watched the game on TV, I didn't drive over to Tuscaloosa, you know, Nate Oates is basically kind of goading the officials, and they showed some stuff that happened during the commercial break. He kept writing the officials, and there, there was one play you know, before this sequence where they turned the ball over by stepping on the outline or the inline, what did you wear, the sideline. And he continued to harp on that. And then late, he's kind of crouched down, and I don't know which official was on the baseline. They said something to him, and Nate Oates basically said, do it, do it, basically daring them to throw him out. And then they did. And that was kind of a turning point in the ballgame. 8.34 to go. He is out of the game. Molinar makes both free throws. We're up three. We get the ball back on an offensive rebound um, by Gareth Anderson Garcia, and then he lays it up and in. Now State is up five. We get a stop, and it's Anderson Garcia again. He always brings energy. Not the best free throw shooter, but he brings life to the floor when he's out there. Now all of a sudden we're up seven, and it feels like, hey, this is going to have the reverse impact that Nate Oates expected. You know, rather than igniting his team, it seemed like it ignited us. We had him on the ropes, and here we are trying to knock him out. State now up seven, under eight, and then we get a stop. Garrison Brooks with a nice block there, uh, but they ultimately get the, get the ball back. Knock down a three, which cuts it down to four. We miss a shot. They make a layup. Now it's a two-point lead for Mississippi State. They make a couple free throws, tie the game up. Brooks, again, with a nice dunk there, under six minutes, gives State a two-point lead. And, again, it felt like we weren't going anywhere. We're hanging in here. Now, we're coming up on the witchy now. We're around that four-minute mark, which always seems to be, you know, our nemesis. It's like if we're ever in a close ball game, when we get to four minutes, we can't close. 
They miss a three, so we have the ball and and the lead. We miss a shot. They miss a three, get an offensive rebound, lay it up and in. It is now a tied game. And from here, Alabama takes over. They make the the, the free throw there on the uh, the and one. Cam Matthews jacks up a three, misses. We actually get an offensive rebound, and then DJ Jeffries misses a three. We get a stop, then Owen Molinar misses a three. That's three consecutive missed three-pointers. Like all of a sudden, you know, the iron was kind to us, and now all of a sudden we can't throw it in the ocean. We get into the uh, four-minute area, the danger zone for us. You know, basically you go full minute without either team scoring. And with two minutes to go, Alabama goes up three on a dunk. Pretty impressive play there. Uh Make it 69-66 for those guys. And again, we haven't scored now in two minutes. We turn the ball over. They go down, hit a shot, go up five. We miss a three, get an offensive rebound, miss another shot. They make a pair of free throws. Now it's a seven-point game with just over a minute to play. We miss a dunk on our end. They go down and score immediately, goes up nine. And at nine points under a minute to go, the game is over. Molinar makes a jumper to, uh, to get us a little bit closer, makes it 75-68. The free throw is good. Now it's a six-point game with 48 seconds to go. It's incredible. They make a free throw, pushes it back up to 76. Molinar gets a layup, makes it 76-71. Uh, with just 37 seconds to play, we have to foul. They make the free throws. Cam, Matt, Cam Carter gets in, makes a couple free throws to put it within five, and at that point, that's pretty much the ball game. They get a layup late with 13 seconds to go, make the free throw at 79, then the other free throw is good, 80, 75. So, again, you go back and you look at the final four minutes of this ball game, it was still a game. It was very much a game. You know, it, it just wasn't four, four, five minutes to go in the game, we're down one. And then we get outscored down the stretch. 13 to 9. Is that right? 13 to 9? Yeah, 13 to 9 down the stretch. And that ends up being really the difference in the ballgame. And so, and many of you have already said it. I know a lot of people use it in their headlines, including our article over on jeanspage.com. It's the same song, different verse. And so here is what happens. And, I, and I've been watching and coaching sports for many years, like many of you. When you have a team that doesn't know how to win, they find a way to lose. Now, what is it, six of seven for Mississippi State? You know, we talk about, you know, being on the bubble. We can't even see the bubble right now. We can't even see it. Very, 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 very disappointing result, even though it's a team we expected to lose to. And it's not the fact that we lost. It's the fact that the same issue has become a recurring theme. We cannot close out basketball games. And there are so many times, too, and I'll say this, and uh, this is a criticism of Ben Howen, there are a lot of times, too, late in games, it seems to me we get caught watching the game rather than coaching the game. A team gets on a run, and rather than call a timeout to kind of settle things down, we don't. And so the reality of it is, is uh, Mississippi State, we, we talked about this defining five-game stretch and before it began, which is the, with the South Carolina game. I share with you guys then, my biggest fear is we're going to go one and four. We're going to beat South Carolina, who was, uh, it was starting to play actually pretty well, but I thought we were the more athletic team and we showed that. And then we've lost four in a row. 
Four in a row, yeah. So it's six of seven that we've lost. And so any talk about making the tournament can uh, can now cease for a while unless we make some incredible uh, run down the stretch. And what have we done to really you know inspire any confidence? State now 14-11 overall and 5-7 and seven in the league. Wasn't too long ago Mississippi State was 4-1. and one. Since that time, we are 1-6 in the SEC, and you throw in the Texas Tech loss, and uh, you begin to see that the golden opportunity to get this team into the NCAA tournament um, has gone by the wayside. Leading scorer for Alabama was Javon Quinterly. Nice game for him, for sure. But Alabama, you know, they're a very prolific offense when they, when they can hit from the perimeter. We actually defended them pretty well, but they missed some wide-open looks. They go 6 of 30 from the three-point line. And if I had told you on Wednesday, hey, Mississippi State's going to hold Alabama to just six made threes, you would think we had won the basketball game. We didn't. Offensively, we made six. We matched their three-point out- output, even though we shot a better percentage. You know, And uh, Cam Carter, of course, you know, the leader in that respect, three of six, kind of running the numbers here. Uh, Derek Fountain played five minutes, did not score, uh, did not attempt a shot. Javian Davis played against his old team, 10 minutes of action, did not score, attempted one shot, missed that, committed a couple personal fouls. Uh, Shaquille Moore, I don't, he has disappeared. And I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if we're not running the same sets or, you know, because of the fact that we're trying to get Molinar off the point, that perhaps many of those looks are going to him rather than Shaquille, but Shaquille just three points. Anderson Garcia off the bench, four points for him. Pulls down one rebound, perfect from the field. Cam Matthews, 18 minutes of action. And I don't know that Cam Matthews isn't our best athlete. Again, not a prolific scorer, but the guy is a competitor. You can build around a guy like Cam Matthews. Of course, he's not a guy that's going to carry your program, but he's going to be a good glue guy on the court and in the locker room. 18 minutes, uh, just four points, but uh, pulled down seven rebounds, which led the team. Also had an assist and a couple blocks, throw in a steal. Again, he just does the grunt work. Uh, Tolu Smith, a very disappointing game from him. I don't know if he's just not healthy or uh, just not feeling right. We don't catch the ball well in the post. And this, this is a veteran you know, veteran post player. 17 minutes, 2 of 6 from the floor. Uh, turned the ball over a couple times. Just pulled down just three rebounds. Again, I don't know what's right. Ends up fouling out of the basketball game. Not exactly sure what's going on there. We're going to have to have a healthy Tolu Smith to make this thing even interesting. Uh, Garrison Brooks, 33 minutes, 2 of 5 from the floor, 0 of 1 uh, from three-point line. four, And I think that was an air ball. Perfect from the free-throw line. Pulled down six rebounds, four personal fouls, a turnover, four blocks, uh, just the eight points. But I thought Garrison played really hard. He didn't have a lot to show for it in the box score from a scoring standpoint, but I thought he played hard. I think he has given good effort. I really do. Uh, Cam Carter, kind of a breakout game for him. 28 minutes of action and, and in the starting lineup. Uh, 4 of 12 from the floor, 3 of 6 from three-point line, and perfect from the free throw line, 4 of 4. Uh, pulled down a couple of boards, had three assists, one turnover, and a steal. Uh, DJ Jeffries, and really, we've been kind of waiting for him to do this. And, again, he's kind of a volume shooter. Uh, 32 minutes of action, 6 of 15 from, from the floor. I don't know that I need him taking that many shots. I think we want him to be a little more aggressive, but uh, his shot selection at times uh, leaves a lot to be desired. One of four from the three-point line, perfect from the line, six rebounds, two assists, a turnover, a steal, and 15 points, which brings us to our prime shrimp player of the game. And it's kind of like a broken record, right? 
It's Iverson Molinar. Let's talk real quickly about Prime Shrimp. A lot of Bulldogs are already checking this new product out uh, based out of uh, New Orleans. You know, this, this is a New Orleans-based Prime Shrimp company. And here's the deal. I like seafood a lot. Matter of fact, I've eaten some here in the last couple of days. It's difficult to find quality seafood in North Mississippi. Don't get me wrong. No, all, no disrespect to anybody. But I'll be honest with you. I would prefer to get my seafood from South Louisiana. That's the case here. You get easy cooked shrimp. You don't have to devein it. You don't have to peel it. There's no mess. All you do is open up the pouch. It comes to you in these neat little pouches that are very well iced and cooled. So like if they get delivered in the morning, you don't make it home for the afternoon. You don't have spoiled shrimp waiting for you when you get home. So you open up the pouch and you drop it right into the pot. Pretty impressive. Just you know, basically 10 minutes of cook time. No prep, no clean. Just 10 minutes of prep. You know, when cleaning boils down to just throwing away a pouch, that's a win right there. Current flavors available are the Signature Seasoned, which is a hot, definitely a favorite, and then the French Quarter Alfredo, which you, you get ready to serve that over of a bed of noodles. You'll be glad you did. Money-back guarantee and orders over four pounds get free shipping. Visit Prime Shrimp today, and this is the last. This, this offer is going to run uh, through the weekend. This week's Boneyard Promo code will get you 50% off your first purchase. It's a nice little incentive, a little introductory offer for you guys that are unfamiliar with the company. Again, that's Prime Shrimp uh, based out of Louisiana. I have it. I think it's great. Check it out yourself. Prime Shrimp, promo code Boneyard, and that gets you 50%. 50% off your first order, and that's only good this week. We'll have a different promotion next week. A lot of jeans pagers have already uh, ordered their shrimp. Uh, to check it out. You'll be glad you did. All right, let's thank our good friend, Blair Chandler. Longtime friend of mine. I, I like the guy a lot, like his family. Uh, his wife, Christy's great. The kids are great. Um, you know, and, and Blair's a guy, too, that uh, I trust. You know, it's one of those things, too. There are a lot of people out there that I, I consider acquaintances. I consider Blair a friend. And if he's a friend to me, he's a friend to you. And it pays to have a friend in the industry, especially when there are things that are complicated like mortgage. And that's what Blair is. He is a mortgage professional. There are a lot of people that are loan officers. Blair is a mortgage professional. Been in the business 21 years. Guy works for Fairway Mortgage. Recently voted number one in customer satisfaction in mortgage lending. So you're getting the top guy from the top company. Top 1% close ratio in the country. He has seen the atypical borrower. And many of you are not are non-conforming. You know, maybe you've got an interesting revenue stream. Maybe it's one of those situations where, you know, you've got multiple jobs where you're trying to piece things together. You know, maybe you've had some challenges on the credit side. You know, Blair can work with you on all that. There are a lot of people out there that are maybe afraid to try because they've had such, you know, negative experiences in the past. Well, give Blair a chance to help you. He's one of the family. And because he is, he's going to give you a little bit of a discount too. He's going to pay for your appraisal. You reach out to Blair, and you say, hey, I heard about you on the barnyard. Boom. That's all you got to say. Your appraisal's paid for. That's a great feature right there. Give Blair a text or call today on his personal cell number, 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Of course, visit him at closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. All right, top 10 list. Now, many of you were where I wanted to be 
on Thursday night. You were at the amphitheater in Brandon, and you got to see one of my favorite bands perform live. They have not played a lot of dates in the state of Mississippi. I have seen them, I think, in five states. I haven't seen them here. They come to my home state, and I don't even go see them. And I feel awful. And I had about 10 of you reach out and say, hey, Steve, are you here? No, no, I'm in Starkville. Got a lot going on. Trying to get these orders out, right? Trying to help navigate and be you know, kind of the conduit. And I, I wanted to watch the game, too. But um, I would love to have been there with you guys. I know this, for many of you, Shaman's Harvest opening up for Theory of a Dead Man is your first experience with Shaman's Harvest. And so because I know them so well, and I do know those guys, uh, you know, Josh, they're a lot. I'll, I'll message Josh and say, hey, Josh, uh, we're going to be at the show at this place, and then I'll get there, and uh, I meet up with Josh, and he goes, well, Steve, just tell me what we're playing tonight, man. What, what do you want to hear? These guys are fabulous guys out of Jefferson City, Missouri. Uh, they play a really good brand of Southern rock with a little bit of an attitude, kind of funny at times too. But these guys have been doing this for a long time. I mean, this band has been together now, I think, 30 years. You know, they kind of came up in the, uh, in the kind of the, the post-grunge era. Kind of took them a while to find their sound. Uh, but, you know, Fisher, the bass player, uh, Nate, the singer, and Josh, those guys have been around together for a long time. They were friends in high school. And as Josh tells you, you know, Nate was kind of the artsy guy and a little bit younger than them. And they finally put a band together. And now you got Shaman's Harvest. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit of their story before we get into the top ten list. So one of my favorite albums probably the last two decades is Smoking Hearts and Broken Guns. I've shared that with you guys before. Every song on the album sounds like a single. You know, there are some albums that are just kind of some filler stuff and you kind of throw some things in. This album is spectacular. I saw them for the first time in person over, I think it was at Iron City or the Iron Horse in Birmingham with uh, Blackstone Cherry and Mark Tremonti's band, Tremonti. And I went to go see Tremonti and Blackstone, and I, we decided, hey, we'll listen to Shamans on the way over there. I heard a couple songs from them, and next thing you know, I'm absolutely hooked. By the time I got to Birmingham, I couldn't wait for Shamans to take the stage. And then after that, anytime they have been within a reasonable driving distance, I've gone to see them play. I love those guys. Saw them at Rocklahoma. I've been over to what's that called? The, the 11th frame there in Huntsville. Uh, saw them at the old uh, Juanita's Cantina out there in Little Rock. I mean, I've, I've been everywhere to see them play. And I hate that I missed them. But uh, here's the cool thing. And uh, I, I say that just because there, there is a redemptive value to the story. Nate, the singer, before they recorded uh, Smoking Hearts and Broken Guns, they had had the success with the Shine album. Uh, which was their fourth album, I believe is correct. Uh, the first album is no longer in print. Uh, so Shine was big for them, had a bit of a breakthrough hit, a couple of hits had gone radio. And the next thing you know, Nate is diagnosed with throat cancer. And it got really, really bad. And they thought they were going to lose him. And they knew that Smoking Hearts and Broken Guns may be the last album they ever recorded together as friends and as a band. And so they poured everything into it. Every dime they'd ever made from music they poured into production value the, ne the next album they booked more studio time uh they wrote and rehearsed and um you know nate's like hey i don't know how much time i have left i don't know if i'm going to lose the quality of my voice i don't know what's going to happen so we can't mess around recording this album and they absolutely killed it and the next thing you know the album comes out things begin to go well and then nate's in remission and hasn't had a recurrence of the cancer ever since then 
And to me, it makes that album mean even more because, because I understand the circumstances in which it was recorded. So if Shamans is a new band to you, and we talked about Ra the other day, I like Shamans even more. I love Ra, I do. But Shaman's Harvest, I think, has a real Southern appeal. And so maybe if Ra, and they're kind of a progressive band, if that's not your style, I don't know anybody that wouldn't like Shamans. I really don't. And uh, I, I love them because of the music. But I've spent so much time around those guys. I know we went we went to Huntsville. Ani went with me. And uh, one of the songs is on the top ten list. They don't normally play live. And I asked if they could do it. They did. And then when other bands are playing, Josh is out there hanging out with us and, you know, uh, laughing about his hat. Because I asked him, I said, it's a cool hat. Where would you get it? And he goes, man, I think I got it at Walmart. You know, and he turns to Ani and he goes, yeah, man, I've been trying to make homeless look cool for decades. They're just real down-to-earth dudes. They really appreciate their fans. They're a good time and band. And so, again, I can't endorse these guys highly enough. So here's the top ten list, and here are a few honorable mentions that didn't make the list. And uh, because there are so many Shaman's Harvest fans in my family, I had to kind of fight for this list. Uh, here are the honorable mentions. A couple of tracks off of the uh, Red Hands Black Deeds album, which is a follow-up to, uh, to Smoking Hearts and Broken Guns. It's off the tracks and Soul Crusher. Uh, those are two of my favorite tracks off that album. I don't like that album quite as much as uh, Smoking Guns, but I do like it a lot. And then two, then there's one more, I guess the Come Up is on there too. Yeah, there's three of those from that album. And then Turn It Up is off the Shine album, which is a good rocking song that um, is the second track on the album. So number 10 on the list is one of the brand new ones. It is the lead single on the new album, Revelator. It's called Voices. There's a rock music video for this. It is a very, very cool song. I think you will dig that. I don't know that they played that uh, tonight uh, down in Brandon. I was looking earlier just to kind of see what, what they played. Yeah, they did play it. Uh, it looks like the, on the, the more recent Shaman's Harvest set list, uh, they're opening with Bird Dog, and then Voices is the second one. And then Soul Crusher, one of our honorable mentions, is third uh, on this. And so... Uh, yeah, you know, a good start tonight if you uh, if you had an opportunity to see those guys. Number nine, the lead track off of uh, Smoking Heart and Broken Guns is a song called Dangerous. And I actually talked to Bill Martin at one time, and he talked about, hey, we might make this the intro when Mississippi State takes a football field at Davis Wade Stadium. He was, like, on board for that and was going to talk to marketing about it. I don't know that conversation ever happened. But Bill and that, Bill's a rocker, too, even though he's kind of a short, bald guy. I love Bill to death. Bill's a rocker. And uh, I turned his song, this, him on to this song, and he loved it. And uh, there is a cancer reference in the song where he talks about this deadly sickness. And, you know, he was going through this reckless time in his life where he was like, you know, I've got nothing left, and that makes me dangerous. This is an absolutely killer track. I think you'll love it. Now, number eight, and this is the only song off of the March of the Bastards album that made the list. This is another one of those good timing songs. I can see everybody sitting around a fire. Somebody gets out a, a guitar, and next thing you know, we're jamming the destination nowhere. It is a great song. A lot of times when I get ready to go on vacation or take a trip, uh, I put this song on. You know, I just want to get out of here sometimes and have some time to myself. So this one kind of means a lot to me, and some people close to me love this one too. Number seven, most people wouldn't have this song on the list. And I'll be honest with you. I'll be really, really honest with you guys. One of the first times I heard this song, it made me real emotional. I was just like, I could just feel what Nate had put into the song. 
and uh, I had a chance to talk to him about it at Rocklahoma. I said, I, I got an idea who wrote this song. And he just grinned. I said, dude, it is so beautiful. I absolutely love this song so much. And it's Tuscan Bone. I absolutely love this song. And I don't know how anybody could like it. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of like, it's, it's just like kind of like a hard life song. Um, but I think you'll dig it. There, there's a lot of emotion in the song. And uh, Nate is a guy that's overcome a lot, so it make, makes it mean a little bit more to me. Number six, this is a big hit for these guys off of Smoking Guns. It's In Chains. And uh, it's one of those songs, too, that it got on Octane on Sirius XM, and it's like it never got off the Biggins Countdown. It's like once it got on there, they couldn't get it off. Now, going back to the Shine album, number five, this is kind of a cult classic. There are a lot of people that are big Shaman's fans that want this song played live. It was never released as a single, but it is one of those deep tracks that have, people have really gotten excited about. And every time that we go see him play, I just kind of mentioned to Josh ahead of time, hey, can we hear Strike the Slate, number five? This is a wonderful song. And I, honestly, I wish that it had, been, had kind of come later in their catalog because I think the production value of the albums were so much better. But when they play it live, to me, it's a very emotional song. And... Um, you know, it's just one of those songs I think lyrically is a high point in their catalog. So number five, Strike the Slate off the Shine Owl. Number four, and this is a song that Andy and I really wanted them to play. Had a chance to meet with them. We went out to Huntsville, and um, it seems like every time I see them, we get to chill, which I really appreciate. I can always text Josh and say, hey, we're coming to the show. But we get out there, and, um, you know, Ani, of course, plays some guitar and plays the drums and does a lot of things. And, uh, you know, this song was one that was really special to us. And so Ani's asking Nate about playing the song, and Nate's like, hey, let me just show you. And so we, we go over there, we go backstage, he gets a guitar out, he shows him all the little tricks and all the things that don't show up in these DIY videos and to the tablatures and stuff to make it online. So he got a chance to have the guy that wrote this song show him how to play it. It means an awful lot to me. The song is called In the End. And uh, basically it's about, you know, when you reach the end of life and you're going to look back, you know, how are you going to view your life? You know, it, it's just, it's one of those songs. It's very res, introspective, I guess you could say. It's like, are, are you going to think you won? Are you going to think you lost? Are you going to think about the people that you harmed? Are you going to think about the people you cared about? Uh, and again, he, write, he writes this, you know, when he's battling cancer. And so there is some authenticity to the song that I think really resonates. Number three, one of their sillier songs, and I can't give you the full title because this is a family show. But it's number three, and it's country as blank. Country as blank. Uh, and it is a very, very funny song. And uh, I love the little part there. I love all the little ad-libs and stuff they do in a song. And, you know, he says this one thing just kind of as a, th a throwaway comment in a song, and it, it is so very Mississippi. He says, you know, get yourself some fried chicken and gasoline. Well, that's what we do. <laughs> you can't get gas without having a chicken place. Uh, in Mississippi, you know it's fabulous. We, we you can you can fuel up and uh, tank up at the same place in Mississippi, uh, but it's it's a really tongue in cheek song. But um, it kind of makes fun of you know our people because they're our people, and it's when we do it, it's funny. When other people don't, they do it. It's not funny. Uh, number two, and this is one of those songs too. From the very first time that I heard it, I said this is something special. And uh, on the Smoking Hearts tour, they opened with this. It opens up with this really great harmony, and it's a song called Blood in the Water. 
And uh, I used to always tweet that out when I'd go see Shamans play. I'd say, I'm on my way to see Shamans Harvest play, and if I die before I get home, you know, rest my head next to Daddy Stone. You know, it's like it's, it's just one of those great Southern colloquialism-type songs. But number one, and it's the, really the song that really was the breakthrough hit from them. The first time that I ever heard of Shaman's Harvest, this is the song that I heard on Sirius XM Octane. It's Dragonfly. And there are, there's the version on the Shine album that is phenomenal. And then they re-recorded it with better production value, and they added an acoustic arrangement to it on the Smoking Guns album. And, and they're both great, but I like, I like the second version better. Uh, but this is a killer band, and uh, I always get so excited to share new music, you know, maybe or with bands that you're unfamiliar with. This is one of them. I should have done this list a long time ago, but I thought how timely would it be since many of you went to that show tonight to see Theory of a Dead Man, and the better band was the opening band. Uh, and that's not a real shot at Theory. I think Theory's a good band. I don't think they're great. I think Shamans is a great band. And if I, I suspect if you went to that show tonight with an open mind, you probably walked away fans of Shaman's Harvest. And I can tell you this, not only are they great musicians, they're great dudes. They really are. And uh, I, I, in many respects, you know, I feel like, you know, Josh is kind of a friend, you know, because every time I always, I'll text him and say, hey, we're going to be here. And he's like, cool, do this, do that, meet me here. And it's like, Next thing you know, I got a backstage pass from walking around and you know, meeting other bands and that kind of stuff. He's just a good dude. He doesn't owe me any of that. He's just a good guy that recognizes the fact that I'm a big fan of the band and I've, I come out and I'll travel to go watch him play. And uh, we've seen him all over. I know when we saw him in Rocklahoma, he was surprised that I was there. I, I forgot to text him and say we're coming. And, uh, you know, we're backstage. Next thing you know, they finish up the set and he walks off and he sees me. And immediately just smiles and walks over, and he goes, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here to see the show, just like everybody else, you know. And so uh, I just – I love these guys, and I cannot support them enough, and I can't endorse them enough. I really think once you get into this band, you're really going to really appreciate the fact. And as you get a new album out, too, be sure and check that out. If you've got ideas for the top ten list, reach out and let me know. We may just use them. Uh, you can f- track our list over on Spotify or on Twitter at dogmatic 67 and uh, Roy has given us the explanation for Dogmatic 6-7. There already was a Dogmatic, and he talks about, you know, being dogmatic, you know, with your opinions. And 67 is the year that he was born. So how about that? Roy's older than me. And so that's the explanation for that, Dogmatic 6-7. And, of course, our good friend Izzy Mandelbaum puts all these things on Apple Music for us. So be sure and follow those guys on Twitter, and you can keep up with the list. All right, time for the Women's Review, brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Uh, really good effort tonight from the women. Uh, good effort by Campus Bookmart always, too. Standing man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, they're going to take care of you because in their minds, you're family. And I consider them family. Every time I go in there, they're always so glad to see me. And it's not just unique to me. I'll sit there, and there'll be so many people coming in. And you, we always talk about how customer service is a lost art form today, and it is. I mean, it really, really is. There are so many people these days that are in business that don't value their customers. It's like, you know, they're doing you a favor by waiting on you. It's not like that at Campus Bookmark. You walk in there, they're just so glad to see you. They'll tell you hello and goodbye. They'll ask if you need any help, but they're not going to pressure you. They're going to answer any of your questions. they got a great, great crew there that do a great job. 
they represent Starkville and Mississippi State very, very well. So if you're looking for Mississippi State merchandise, go visit my friends over at Campus Bookmark. While you're in town this weekend, go come by and say hello. I'll be there Saturday morning. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you. You can uh, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmark.net. They also have books there, too. And when we run out, they're going to have some. So be sure and uh, give those folks an opportunity to serve you. Again, that's campusbookmark.net. And by being a loyal Bonegar listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. All right, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. I didn't expect to win the game against LSU. I didn't because they're better than us. And we're playing, you know, pretty quickly. Our, our legs are pretty much gone. But I'll be honest with you, I did not expect this to be the game that it turned out to be. I, I really did. And, again, it's, a, it's a really a credit to these ladies and Doug Novak. We just kind of ran out of gas tonight. We did. I mean, we, we had a lead in the fourth quarter, and we just ran out of gas. Now, LSU – is a little more talented than us and certainly has uh, more depth. But I thought our ladies really responded well. We got down early. It's 23-16 in the first quarter, and uh, it was worse than that about halfway through. We respond in the second quarter. We outscore LSU by four, cut into that lead, and all of a sudden you look up, you look up and it's 34-31. You're thinking, we got a shot here. And what do you do? You win the third quarter, too. And then State has the lead heading to the fourth. And similarly to what we saw against Kentucky, we get outscored. Ironically, the same score, 24 to 10. We just ran out of juice. And it's, to me, it's different. You know, it's like we look at the men's side and you say, well, Steve, they, they didn't close on the women's side either. But it wasn't for a lack of effort. And it wasn't for a lack of toughness. We, you know, we're, we're playing with seven players you know, against a top 15 opponent. We got the, basically a full complement of a roster on the men's side. And I'll be honest with you, and I've said this before on the show, and I know some people don't like this, and I don't really care. If our men played with the same level of toughness that our women did, there would be a shoe-in for the NCAA tournament. And if that steps on your toes, I hope it hurts. All right, looking at the numbers here. Uh, Alexis Morris led LSU with 23 points. Led all scorers with that. Anastasia Hayes comes back. A 17-point effort for her. Played 38 minutes. And that's the thing you look at, too. I mean, it's just, you know, the the amount of wear and tear these ladies are putting on themselves at this point in the season, it's just, it's remarkable. It really is. They don't have any choice. Anastasia Hayes, 38 minutes, 7 of 22 from the field. They did a good job kind of, kind of keeping her off her game a little bit. She knocked down a three. And then uh, perfect from the line, four rebounds, a couple fouls. And that's amazing to me. You know, we didn't have anybody foul out. It really didn't have anybody close to fouling out. They're learning to play without fouling, which is important when you don't have any depth. Vastasia Hayes, five assists, a couple turnovers, a steal, 17 points. Jerkelia Jordan, she was one that I thought fatigue really got to. 33 minutes, four of 15. That's what happens. I mean, your legs go on a jump shot. Two of five from three. Knocked down a couple free throws. Pulled down seven rebounds, which was second most on the team. Because we had a player have a career night. It wasn't Jerkella Jordan, who had a pretty good ball game, though. Four steals, 12 points. Maya Taylor, I mean, what else can we say about her? I mean, you know, you just, you, you expect double-digit scoring, good defense. 
and a lot of minutes played. You got that, 39 minutes, 4 of 10 from the floor. Knocked down three three-pointers. How about that? That's big. Missed two free throws, pulled down three boards, three assists, a turnover, a couple steals, 11 points for her. Uh, Katarian Thompson, Bree, you know, decent night for her. But, uh, you know, again, these long-range shooters, you know, they're, they're the ones that fatigue really gets after the most, you know. 28 minutes for her, 4 of 11 from the field, just connected on one three-pointer on five attempts, pulled down three rebounds, uh, two assists, nine points for her. If we were going to do a prime ship shrimp player of the game, I'm giving it to Charlotte Cole. He said, well, Steve, she wasn't leading scorer. She wasn't. She wasn't. But she played her best game in a Mississippi State uniform against LSU, against a ranked opponent as this team is battling and, and fighting and scratching and clawing to get to an NCAA tournament. Charlotte Cole has gotten better. Now, granted, she really hadn't had a lot of choice but to get better because she's been thrust into the starting lineup. But she has responded. 33 minutes of action, four of five from the field. She even attempted a three-pointer. <laughs> six of five, six offensive rebounds, five defensive, 11 rebounds on the night, two personal fouls. And that, that was the issue the other night, right, is she got into some foul trouble. She played without fouling, still played a physical brand of basketball, competed for rebounds. When she didn't get it, she made them really compete, got in their legs a little bit too, and eight points. So great effort from her. Ashley Jones, you know, again, coming just to kind of give give our ladies a little bit of a rest. Five minutes for her, one of three from the floor. Pulls down a couple boards. And then the one, Hayes uh, doesn't score, but again, 24 minutes, played some good defense, pulled down four rebounds, and assists, a couple turnovers. And so, you know, basically, you know, we're going out here and playing with a shoestring roster. And so it's going to be the same players over and over again. But the reality of it is, is – I just think we're building a solid nucleus here. And I don't know how many of these players are going to be back next year. I don't, I don't know. Who knows? Just don't know how that's going to work out. But those that do return are going to take an awful lot of pride in the uniform. They already do. And so excited about this. And, again, everybody says, well, Steve, you know, what about Doug Novak? And, you know, the thing that I continue to say, and I don't want to belabor the point, is that I think this is a special team that is kind of bonded around adversity I just don't think this is sustainable. And you say, well, Steve, well, yeah, but y'all, you know, I think you got to look at the big, bigger picture here. And we've lost two in a row, and I think in some respects it kind of quietens things down a little bit. I know that the guy has some support. I really do. I just don't think it's nearly as, as convenient as some people think that it is. Well, let's just hope we're going to promote him. You know, and to be honest with you, that's kind of the old antiquated Mississippi State thinking. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I wouldn't support Doug Novak. I absolutely would. I absolutely would. But I think you got to start piecemeal and a staff together. And this is the guy that's basically kind of built a career on the on the uh, you know on the men's side. And I think it'll be difficult. You know, I, I really do. And I'm not advocating against him. I'm just kind of letting you know, based on some things that I've heard, I think that we are going to go and go get an established coach that will bring probably the overwhelming majority of their staff. You know, sometimes people leave and then, uh, you know, the, the school they're departing from, you know, wants to retain somebody, you know, maybe an associate head coach or a lead assistant uh, to pr- promote from within. And that may be what we see happen here. But, um, again, I'm not saying that Doug Novak is not a candidate because he clearly is and he deserves to be. But I don't think he is going to get the job. I don't. And I don't think it has anything to do 
you know, with the last couple of all games because I know they are doing everything they can. They are representing this university exceptionally well. But I think we need to bring in kind of a ready-made staff that understands, you know, women's basketball, a coach that has some extensive experience recruiting and coaching women uh, on the college level. And I know that's not the popular opinion, and, and I'm okay with that. But that's how I feel. I know many people are like, oh, don't mess this up. Just give it to Novak. I just think there are bigger issues here. I think, I think you know, again, you look at the circumstances and how this thing has come together, and it is very admirable how this team has performed and this coaching staff has performed. And you got people that uh, are not really coaches that are out there helping coach because that's what needs to be done. And it says a lot about their character. And I wish every one of them well. Uh, when they leave Mississippi State, and I hope that they find uh, gainful employment elsewhere and get what they want uh, out of the profession. The ladies will get a couple days off. They probably need uh, probably need the cold tubs for a day or so, and then they will travel to Missouri. So they'll be on the road in the air on on uh, Saturday. I don't know how much work we get done on Friday. Probably need to let them get uh, you know some therapy. Back to back road games here in the next week at Missouri at Tennessee. Got to get a split there. I mean, you'd love to get them both. It's going to be very difficult to go up and win in Knoxville. Some of our better teams have struggled to do that against some, you know, kind of average Tennessee teams. This is a good Tennessee team. So just three games remaining in the regular season. My personal opinion is if we're going to make the tournament, we need to take down Missouri and Arkansas. Of course, you get Tennessee, that's a nice bonus for you. But, uh, you know, Doug will have them ready to play. There's no doubt about it. I, I just don't think, you know, you, you can't continue to fade, you know, down the stretch. We've actually lost three of four. And it's like it's, it kind of sneaks up on you because they're playing so that gum hard. And you begin to think, man, oh, we really lost three of four? Yeah, we have. But we've played with such winning effort, you know, you almost don't even realize it. On the men's side, it's like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, here we go again. You know, the, the women, I think, know how to win. I don't think the men do. I think the women have some killer instinct in them. The difference in the two teams, I think, is that it's just clearly a lack of depth. If Doug Novak had 10 players to work with, I think you beat Kentucky. And you might even beat LSU. You probably beat Florida. And that's the thing, too, that I think, you know, Doug Novak, regardless of what happens to him next, he has represented himself well. That guy is an outstanding coach, and I think who wherever he ends up is going to be lucky to have him. I think he has demonstrated. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, 
as well as free returns and exchanges ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. That he is a guy that knows how to motivate players. All right, final segment of the show. We're going to talk a little college baseball. I know you guys are excited about this. I'm exceptionally excited about this. Brought to you our good friends at Portico. You know, Brooks Bryan helped us get to Omaha twice. He's involved with this group, which automatically kind of makes it, you know, a winning group. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I like to associate with winners. Brooks Bryan is a winner. Carrie Pennebaker is a winner. You know, you got guys that are involved in this process in building this development that love Mississippi State. So they're not going to come in here and just do some, you know, half-handed job. They're going to come out here and deliver the goods because, number one, you're family to them too. And here's the thing too. Most of those guys have a place at Portico. You think they're going to just build a dumpy neighborhood? Of course not. This is a fantastic development. Very easy to get to right off of Highway 12. You turn off the off of 82 on a 12, the very first ride is Pat Station Road. You go through the stop sign, boom, there's Portico. It's great. I, I have said many times, if I was moving to Starkville now, this is where I'd move. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go up to a four-bath, four-bedroom home. Phase two is under construction now, and here's the cool thing. Uh, you can have a say in picking your lot and your house plan. And everybody deserves a chance to do that once. Whether it be your primary residence or retirement home or just your ballgame weekend retreat, Portico's got a place for you. Make Portico your next move. And I guess what I could do, too, is give you Brooks' phone number, right? How about that? If you need more information, you text my friend, your friend, Brooks Bryan, or give him a call, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. That's what we do here. We share our phone numbers on the show, right? You're not going to get, you know, the receptionist. You're not going to get, you know, somebody's, you know, voicemail. It's going to sit there and flash at them all day. We're giving you our friends' personal numbers because we're all family here. Let's talk baseball. And I think that's what Brooks would want us to talk about, right? Brooks is like me. Brooks like a kid in a candy store or like even like a kid before Christmas night. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and I even tweeted that out. It's like, hey, it's college baseball leave. I'm at home. I'm getting ready to open gifts, you know. We should make opening day a holiday around here because college baseball means so much to us. I know Brooks Bryan probably slept very, 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 very unrestfully tonight. Matter of fact, as I'm recording this show, he is probably at walking the floor. Probably feels like he's playing tomorrow because it matters so much. Got a top 25 opponent coming to town, guys. Long Beach State. Now, let's give a quick review of last year's Long Beach State. And in the Big West, you know, didn't play a lot of non-conference games. You know, it was kind of a weird year. You know, they're out West, you know, so it's like, you know, a lot of things they do are different than what the rest of the continental U.S. does. And I'm not being political. I'm just saying there's some, there's some parameters about what they had to deal with 
uh, compared to many of the other teams in college baseball. But um, they got 28 and 15 overall last year, 26 and 14 in the conference. Again, not a lot of non-conference, basically a conference-only schedule last year for those guys. Uh, pretty good record at home, 13 and 7, 15 and 8 on the road. No neutral side games. Not everybody can go to Arlington, right? So they open up and they uh, they actually lose the first three games of the year. They take one of four out in Honolulu against Hawaii. Wouldn't that be a fun trip? Go play baseball in Hawaii. We've done that. Hawaii Hilo would probably love to see us come back. That's an old, old Mississippi State baseball comment there. Uh, so then uh, then they win and they split the next the next four, I guess. They win two of the next four. And so it's like all of a sudden you look up and it's like, hey, we've already got five losses, you know, kind of eight games into the season. What, what's happening here? And that's Cal State Northridge. And, and those the Matadors are a pretty good program too. Then they go to, to uh, UC San Diego for four. They split. They take three of those four. That's out in La Jolla, California. Cal Poly was the next one. Another, again, a four-game weekend. They split that. They play Pacific, the only non-Big West team on the schedule. They take two of three there. That's out in Stockton, California. They play UC Santa Barbara, who is kind of the class of the Big West. And that they're generally a team that people expect to do big things. And down the stretch last year, they were kind of a hipster team. UC Santa Barbara takes two of four from them. UC Irvine, the Anteaters, great, great California baseball program. Good nicknames in the Big West, too. The Matadors, Anteaters, Dirtbags, even though it's not officially the name. UC Irvine, traditionally a ranked team. They also split with them. They get UC Riverside on the road. They sweep all four games there, and they really get hot down the stretch. They win three of four against uh, Bakersfield. And then they got, you know, Cal State Fullerton. And, you know, Cal State Fullerton has been a national power, you know, out of the Big West. You know, we had them as a, re- a regional here a couple years ago. And how cool was that? You know, it's like I'm such a nerd when it comes to college baseball. Like, I love the fact that we get these West Coast teams at times that come to Duty Noble Field. Because I, I know that they will go back and carry our message about college baseball, about what it's like to play baseball here at Mississippi State. But Cal State Fullerton comes in. Of course, we beat them. Uh, They took three out of four. Long Beach takes three out of four at Cal State Fullerton last year. And it still chaps my high that Cal State Fullerton won national championships before we did. Uh, UC Davis closed out the year with them with a four-game sweep. So they end the year on a six-game winning streak, and they won eight of the last nine. And you can go back even farther than that and say, hey, it's really, you know, was this 11 11 to 13? I mean, you know, this is a team that closed out really well. They got really hot down the stretch. And a lot of that is because I think they found the pitching. And so this will be their first real non-conference test since all this mess started, you know, with COVID. And so let's kind of look through this here. Uh, You know, Long Beach is uh, picked second in the West, second in the uh, in the in their conference this year out in the Big West, uh, the the Anteaters are picked first. UC Santa Barbara's third. Cal State Fullerton's down to like fifth. So uh, that's how it looks. Long Beach State expected to be a regional team. 
don't think there's any question about that. They generally are, and they should be. So let's look at um, you know, kind of what we have kind of coming in here. And so they have a one of the better baseball names in the country in Rocco Pepe. Is there a better baseball name than that, Rocco Pepe? It sounds like he should be playing shortstop for the Dodgers. I love it. We didn't play last year, and he was a guy that was projected to start as a true freshman. He ends up getting, uh, you know, the hand injury, misses a year. He's coming back. They're excited about him. They think he's a future big leaguer. You know, one of the guys you need to be familiar with is right fielder Chase Luttrell. These guys got four years in. You had the benefit of the COVID year. Led them in home runs last year, eight dingers, 30 ribbies. Most statistical categories, uh, he is near the top of the list. Really good player. First baseman, Jonathan Long is the guy, too, that has some power. Five dingers last year, 16 ribbies. Not a lot of runs scored, but that's the thing. They didn't need a lot of runs because of pitching. A veteran group for the most part, but um, you know, they've got some guys that have some, some experience under their belt, but um, going to be kind of young on the infield. A couple freshmen out there. You know, Rocco Pepe has never seen anything like he's going to see at Duty Noble Field. Sit over there at the hot corner. You know, all these right-handed hitters we got will tear you up. So it'll be interesting. How does he handle the big crowds? How do they handle the cold weather? You know, we'll see. Uh, Sebastian Morello is a shortstop. Not a real power threat, but a guy that hit 316 last year uh, in his first year of, of college action. But, uh, again, they got, they got a couple four-year juniors and four-year sophomores. But the story of this team is going to be pitching. This is going to be the story. Luis Ramirez is a guy that has a you know, major league grade on him. Basically two for one last year, 58 Ks and just 25 walks. That's not a great ratio. You know, you'd like to be at least three for one. Uh, Mark, Mark West Johnson's a guy, too, they're pretty high on, too. Uh, but the guy that's, that's the, the dude – is the closer, uh, Devereaux Harrison. Many people believe he is one of the top prospects in the Big West Conference. A guy that's expected uh, to, to, to take a pretty big uh, Major League Baseball you know, pick. You know, relievers don't usually get drafted really high, but he is a guy, too, that uh, they think may be like a Kevin Copps guy. They probably won't overuse him like Dave Van Horn used Copps, but he is a guy that you know, whenever they get in trouble, they can go get him. Pretty astonishing guy. They're, they're, I, I see that Eric Sorensen picked him as the, uh, the pitcher of the year over there. Interesting, right? They think Eddie Saldivar, second baseman, going to be the freshman of the year. And, again, a young infield. You know, how will they handle the turf of Duty Noble? You know, Notre Dame came in here last year rated as the number one defense in America, the highest fielding percentage in college baseball and came to Dirty Noble Field and booted the ball over the field. So we'll see how things progress with them. But um, this is a team that's got some dudes. They're, they're going to be a team that's going to pitch it really, really well. We always talk about pitching being ahead of hitting this time of year. That's going to be the case. So you know, go ahead and get ready for, you know, the social media post about, oh, well, Mississippi State's offense is supposed to be so good. They didn't do anything against Long Beach State because you're going to have some people that are casual fans of college baseball that aren't going to recognize the fact that Long Beach State is worthy of our respect. This is a team. It's going to be in a regional. 
This is a team that's capable of coming in here winning a series against Mississippi State. Now, I'm ready to see the big dogs eat, too. Kellum Clark is a guy that struggled a little bit uh, in spring practice. We need to kind of get him going. But it's going to be interesting to see how these guys pitch against us. A lot of unknowns, I guess, in some respect, when you hadn't played a team in a couple years, you can watch a lot of film. There's a lot more film of us out there because we played a lot longer last year. We've got some guys, too, that have kind of shored some things up. But, you listen, Long Beach State has some dudes. They got some dudes that are going to play pro ball for a long time. Eric Valenzuela's done a great job there with that program. And, again, I think this is a, you know, a team that you look at and you begin to think, okay, where do they rank out in the West? And I would venture to say, you know, when you begin to begin to look at all the teams out there on the West Coast, you know, th this could be, if you wanted to break it up by region, this is probably one of the top ten teams in West Coast baseball. They play a good brand of baseball in the state of California. It's one of the reasons Oregon State and Oregon and those teams recruit down there so heavily. It's not just a popular state. It is a state that's very, very baseball friendly. They play baseball year-round out there, kind of like they do here in the South. And so Pac-12 baseball has been a little bit of a uh, disappointment the last couple of years. I mean, you have a few teams, obviously, like Stanford, that, uh, that have been good. And Oregon State's always, always a team that uh, really contends for some big things. But I think one of the reasons why is I think there are some, some big West programs that are fully committed to baseball. And so as a result, they're beginning to win some of those recruiting battles against those Pac-12 schools. Big West is putting teams in the major league, putting players in the major leagues. So, you know, we don't really have that down here. You know, it's like, well, you got Conference USA, but they still, they're still primarily a football league too. You know, so I like the Big West Conference. And, I, and that's one of the things I love about having ESPN is like I can go cover a game at Duty Noble Field. I can get home, write my story, and then I can go watch college baseball. So I'll watch a lot of West Coast baseball. They don't always have a lot of Big West games on, but when they do, let me tell you, it's worth your time to go watch it. It is. There are some Big West teams that are better than most of the Pac-12 teams. That's just kind of the reality of life. But this is a team that doesn't have a ton of power. Uh, it's a team that, you know, doesn't hit a whole lot. You know, they're not a team that you look at and say, you know, they have a lineup that really, you know, jumps off the page at you. You know, I think their youth is going to be a bit of an issue this weekend. Again, remember we talked about all these freshmen that are coming in, many of which are seeing their first college action. Many of them have never played in a crowd like they're going to see even on Friday, which, you know, Friday will be the smallest crowd for us. Uh, but the reality of it is is that um, Duty Noble Field can be very overwhelming for people, very overwhelming. They do lose a lot of regulars from last year. And if I was them, I'd probably want to play at home rather than have to go play a place like this. I and mean, it's going to be a great experience for them. I don't know how the record goes. I, I, I expect us to win a series because I think that um, I think we're going to pitch it pretty well too. As you saw, the rotation came out. You know, Landon Sims on Friday, Casey Hunt on Saturday and Cade Smith on Sunday. I'm really excited about Cade Smith, and KC had a great summer out in the Cape. Great. Not good, great. And, you know, down the stretch last year, he was really good, you know, for us. He gets a lot of swing and miss. Now, that doesn't mean people say, well, Steve, what about Jackson Frista? What about Preston Johnson? What about Andrew Walling? All those guys are going to pitch. Scott Foxhall told me a week ago what he might do is, uh, you know, go four innings with this guy, four innings with that guy. 
go to the next game for, for this one. It's a 70-pitch limit more than likely for the guys. You're not going to pitch guys deep into ball games in February, and certainly not in 40-degree weather. You're just not going to do it that way. And I do think the weather is a factor in this. You know, hitting you know a 95-mile-an-hour fastball with aluminum bat is not a lot of fun. And then when you got Landon Sims throwing that four-seam rent on the hands, it's, it's, it's even less fun. But looking, again, kind of this Long Beach State thing, we talked about Chase Luttrell. There are a lot of people that think he's a guy that's going to go early in the draft. Hit 316, uh, 56 hits, six doubles, three triples, and the eight bombs there in the 30 ribbies. He is the leading returning offensive player for them. Uh, we mentioned Sebastian Morello. He's a guy that was largely a reserve last year. Played in about half the games. Hit 316, 24 hits, 11 doubles, uh, one triple, no dingers, and the uh, 13 RBI. But, you know, you begin to kind of look down this list and you begin to realize that, you know, they are, they're a team that's probably in search of an identity offensively. When you've got guys like Chase Luttrell, you, you likely can kind of pitch around him a little bit. I'm sure that's the scouting report that uh, Scott Fox all has shared. It's like, hey, they've got a lot of inexperience in this lineup. Let's attack those guys. Uh, looking at their, you know, you know, look at Luis Ramirez from a year ago. I mean, it's like the numbers are not as especially impressive at four and four. Uh, had the highest ERA of the starters at four point two seven, but this is a guy that, again, a lot of people really like how he projects. You know, they lose, you know, their top three guys, you know, from from a year ago. So this is a guy too that's going to be kind of thrust into a bigger role for them. How does he handle it? You're going on the road. You're trying to show your guys you can be the guy. And so when we talk about, you know, the questions we have, our questions are really rather simple, right? Who's going to play second? And I think that was really kind of some hyperbole. I think we've known since the day that he picked Mississippi State, R.J. Yeager was going to be there. Not just because he transferred in and he was promised a job, but because he earned it. He led the team in home runs in fall. You know, so what do we do in center, Right. What do we do on the weekend rotation? Well, everybody has that question. But there's a lot more questions with this Long Beach State team. And when you lose three of your top four starters in the pitching rotation, you talk about having an X-man-up mentality. It's difficult to do, especially on the road. We talked about Devro Harrison, 1.57 ERA, 3.1 record last year, at 18 appearances, no starts, of course, and uh, 10 saves. This is a guy when it gets it done, you know. Uh, 34 and a third innings pitch, allowed 22 hits, Eight runs, six of them earned, 12 walks against 42 Ks. That's a really good ratio right there. Uh, six doubles and allowed us one home run. Opponents hit just 175 against them, and as you see, uh, not a lot of extra base hits against him. Just one wild pitch, only hit one batter. And, uh, you know, just you know, a guy that a lot of people are excited about. You know, we'll kind of see how things progress with him, but we'll certainly see him this weekend. You never know what game it's going to be. I mean, obviously, let's let's say they get into uh, you know Sunday and start running out of pitching. Maybe you extend him a little bit, trying to get you a W. But um, this is a really good team that has some young players that will mature over the course of the season, and it's probably good to get them early. This could be one of those RPI net type building teams for us. You go beat these guys and then let them go win a bunch of games in the Big West. They're running interference for you and then driving up your net, thus putting you in contention to be a top eight national seed. A lot of other people that are going to play, you know, the Louisiana School of Math and Science this weekend, and that's not going to help them other than the fact that it's going to give some false confidence and give some guys a chance to get some innings. 
I commend Chris Limonis for taking this opportunity on a couple of years ago. You know, we went out there, and that's when we kind of discovered Will Bednar was going to be a dude for us. He went out there and shut them down. It's the only game we won. We also lost uh, Tanner Allen pretty much for the year. You know, diving catch attempt out there in right field. And that's the thing you begin to think about. If he doesn't get hurt in that ball game, he's not a member of your 2021 team because he would have been drafted in the first five rounds. The guy's the best hitter in college baseball. But now he gets hurt, and he hadn't really you know, proven himself at his projected position, so people like to take a pass on him, and it lit a fire under him, and Mississippi State benefited from it. And so, But this is a team, you know, they're going to come in here with a chip on their shoulder. You know, and let's be honest, too. We're, we're the defending NAFL champions. You know, the mental edge should be ours. You know, we're the, I'm sure they're telling their guys, hey, the, all, there's no pressure on you guys. It's all on them. No, there's no pressure on us. None. Zero. Maybe a little bit on Friday we want to go out there and kind of get going. You know, that's the thing, too. Once you get through all the pomp and circumstance and, you know, you got the ribbons up there and there's some new ribbon boards and there'll be some ceremony and that kind of stuff. And the next thing you know, you're playing baseball. And that's one of the reasons that I'm glad Lennon Sims is going. Landon Sims has some dog in him. This is a guy that understands the mission. This is a guy that understands it's baseball. We're here to play baseball. The crowds are great. The facility is unparalleled. But it's the same game we've been playing our whole lives. Let's go out here and throw the baseball. Now, I don't expect high-scoring games. I think we're going to pitch it well, and I expect them to pitch it well too. So, in many respects, it probably boils down to defense. You know, how well can this, you know, new look infield be for Long Beach State? We'll see. What about the Mississippi State lineup, right? That's what we're thinking. I'm not exactly sure the batting order. I'm in, that's one of the things I'm interested to see. Does Hunter Hines DH? This late offer DH. I think it kind of depends on matchups. I think you kind of move some guys around. And that's the one thing, too, when you're recruiting at the level Mississippi State is right now, you have options for things like DH. You, know, you don't have to just kind of roll with one guy. You can play matchups if you want to. You've got enough depth on the team, you can do that. But I think we all kind of know how the infield's going to look. I, I, I think Cam James starts out at third. Of course, Lane Forsyth is short, one of the elite defenders in college baseball. R.J. Yeager at second, and he is a converted shortstop, and he had some errors at Mercer. A lot of them were throwing errors, having to make that throw deep in the hole from the six hole. And, of course, Luke Hancock's back at first, and a more comfortable Luke Hancock. And then you've got one of the best catchers in the country behind the plate. So you feel really good about that. you got Brad Combust in left. You know, Brad's a good defender. you got Kellum Clark in right. And, you know, last year we kind of put him in the outfield just because we, you know, he hadn't had a lot of reps. We're just trying to find a way to get him in the game. So we ended up DHing him. Well, now that he's in right field, it opens up that DH spot for you to get on the bat in the order. And then, you know, who's your opening day center fielder? If I had to call today, I'm thinking it's Jess Davis. But that's not to say you're not going to see Bray this weekend too. You know, I think this weekend, you know, you'll, you'll play a lot of guys. But, of course, not at the expense of losing a ball game. Yeah, I think Jess Davis is probably, probably the best defender in the outfield among the entire lineup. what The question is going to be is, how's he going to hit? And this is a guy, too, that's kind of struggled since he's get on campus to hit the baseball. 
So you know, what does that mean? You're kind of moving forward. You know, who hits leadoff? Yeah, you know, we talk about Luke Hancock. I mean, I, you know, I don't know that I would want him leading off. There's really kind of a lack of speed there. I like him as a two-hole hitter. You can hit and run with him. He's not going to strike out much. You can steal bases when he's at the play because he can protect the runner. He can foul a pitch off if he needs to. Uh, one of the most difficult players in the country to strike out. Does Cam James stay in a three-hole? Maybe. I don't, I, don't see, I don't see Cam as a leadoff guy, but he could be. You know, and so those are the questions that I, I've kind of got in my mind. Who is, who's going to be the dude? You know, Jess Davis has got to combine a little bit too. Does that make him a guy that you want to put the top of the order? He's pretty fleet-footed. Or do you put him in the nine-hole to give you another speed option down there? That way if the nine-hole guy reaches, the next thing you know, the leadoff guy can move a guy around. You've got good speed on the bases. So all of that is rather interesting to me. And as closely as we follow all this, you know, Chris Lamonis is a guy that does it his way. You know, it's like you never know from one game to the next who's going to be in the order. You know, last year you had, uh, you know, Tanner Leggett was a guy that played three different positions for us. And uh, and how important was that late? How important was it that all those guys had an opportunity to play during the season and play meaningful baseball? So when the season, you know, when the postseason got here, those guys weren't, you know, kind of bowing down in the moment. You know, these are guys that kind of understood what's expected, and they understand the standard at Mississippi State. I think that's a big part of things. You know, it's one thing to be overwhelmed by that stuff. I don't, I just don't think we are. I think we have guys, because of the fact that they get meaningful playing time when, when it matters most, that they are a, a team that um, when it's, their numbers are called upon, they're ready to go. Looking at, uh, you know, the, the scrimmage stats on the pitching side of things for Mississippi State, we hadn't talked about this. And, again, I don't read a lot into this stuff, you know, because you're experimenting a little bit. You know, you're trying to get your – you're probably throwing your change up a lot more because you're trying to make sure you can throw up for strikes. But um, in the preseason, there's eight scrimmages, and here's what we've looked at. Brandon Smith – uh, three appearances, eight and two-thirds of an inning, allowed six hits, struck out six, walked six, hit one, allowed three runs, all those unearned. You know, that walks number's got to get better. Uh, Mikey Tepper, who was the guy that we think may be in line to be the closer, one game, two, two-thirds of an inning pitch, two hits, one walk, no Ks. Cade Smith, your Sunday starter, and I think he wrapped that up last weekend. Cade Smith... Three games, 9.2 innings pitched, seven hits, 12 strikeouts, three walks. Uh, those 12 Ks among the best on the team for this section, this segment. Jackson Fristo, same number of games and innings, allows just four hits, eight Ks, five walks. So control not quite there. But, again, I, I would not be opposed to putting Jackson out there. I know last year down the stretch he kind of hit a wall. But I think that he's a guy you can count on. Your leading strikeout guy, and of course you didn't throw Landon Sims a whole lot. Just, you want to know why, why KC Hunt is pitching on Saturday? Here's why. Three games, 8.2 innings pitched, seven hits allowed, 15 Ks, two walks. That dog will hunt right there. A 1.04 ERA allowed just one run in three appearances, but 15 Ks. That's why he's pitching on Saturday. Because a lot of people are like, Steve, what's going on? No, that's why. Uh, Cam Teller, of course, still a left-handed reliever for us. Uh, four games, 5.2 innings pitch, 
allowed four hits, six Ks, two walks, a hit by pitch, uh, one earned run, 1.59 for him. Pico Collins, a guy that we expect to contribute in midweek. Three games, 8.1 innings pitch, five hits, 11 Ks, and one walk. That dog will hunt too, right? That'll get it done. Andrew Walling, this is the thing. Well, Steve, I don't understand he signed here to be a starter. Here's your numbers. You see the numbers and you kind of understand it. Andrew Walling, three games, 7.1 innings pitch, four hits, nine Ks, ten walks. The control factor is still an issue. And remember, and remember, I go back to this. Remember, people are like, oh, yeah, well, the, the talk is that, you know, we're going to have Andrew Walling on Saturday uh, as the starter, and that was so incredibly premature it wasn't fair to the kid. Uh, Cole Cheatham, 3.1 innings pitch and three appearances, three hits, four Ks, seven walks. Preston Johnson, 12 Ks for him, nine walks, allowed seven hits, four earned runs. And, uh, again, you start looking at the numbers. You start looking at this and say, okay, you know what Landon Sims has got, and then you've got Cade Smith with 12 Ks and Casey Hunt with 15, and you start beginning to ask yourself, okay, well, now it makes sense. Landon Sims only won a couple times, three innings apiece, 11 Ks, four walks, uh, allowed three runs, which is rare for him. Uh, Brooks Auger is a guy they're really high on for the future. Don't expect him to be, you know, a weekend contributor at this point, but he's a guy that may factor in midweek. Uh, Parker Sinnett is a guy that, uh, again, is going to have to take a jump this year. Two appearances for him, 10 Ks, one walk. That'll work. Uh, Stone Simmons, a guy that could factor in, too, is a long reliever for us. We expect that to be the case. You know, just a couple of appearances, three hits, a couple of Ks, three walks. So we're getting a little bit farther down the list here. Jack Walker's a guy, too, that uh, you know had a really good scrimmage early and then got shelled the next time. He's going to be fine. We don't expect him to make a major contribution this year. If we get anything from him this year, we're happy. We know that the best baseball for him is ahead of him. Three appearances, you know, seven innings pitched, 13 hits, which was the most on the team, and that's to be expected. You got a freshman, uh, nine Ks, five walks. You know, so you got some numbers there. But um, and the reality of it is, is like, you know, it's not hard to figure out. You know, baseball is a numbers game. You get guys out that you get to pitch a lot more. You get hits, you get to stay around a little bit longer. I mean, it's like I mean, it's you start looking at this stuff and it starts making good sense. It, it's really easy to say, you know, well, well, I read on a message board this. You know, we got guys that cover – we cover college baseball year-round at jeanspage.com. We go to the fall scrimmages. We go to the preseason scrimmages. We go to the camps. And we do all kind of stuff like that. You know, and I think it's important to understand, you know, the numbers are compiled over time, and even though they're not official numbers, I mean, we don't, you know, we may give a guy a hit when Chris Lamonis gives him, you know, reaching on an error because uh, you want it to be a little bit cleaner. And but the reality of it is, is that, um, you know, we got the numbers. You got the numbers to kind of back it up, and all of a sudden, when you go through these numbers, you start thinking, well, now it makes perfect sense. And just to kind of give you some velo to go with that too. Uh, Fristo throwing uh, Topper out at 93, Pico Conan at 89, Stone Simmons at 92, uh, Taylor Montiel at 88, Drew Talley at 92, Cam, Cam Tuller at 88, uh, Mikey Tepper at 96. So you got some guys out there bringing it. You do. No doubt about it. So, but I'm excited, man. I'm ready to go. I'm eager to see, like the first time that I see the official account tweet out the lineup, I, I, it's going to feel real. You know what I'm saying? It's like we've all just been floating on this pink cloud 
I've won an AFL championship. It's almost like, hey, do, let's not even play college baseball anymore. Let's just go out on top. You know, I'm ready to go win another one. And I think this team is capable of doing that. I'm going to give you the hot take right now. I don't really think it's a hot take. State makes Omaha again this year for the fourth consecutive year. And then from there, we'll see how the matchups break loose. But this is going to be a very offensive league this year. And I've told you guys when we picked the West, I think the fact that State has the pitching, I think is a separator in the West. Uh, we just got to be able to survive those Sunday games. There's going to be a lot of teams out there like Arkansas, LSU, and Ole Miss are going to put up some video game-type numbers on Sundays because they're going to they're gonna have bad pitching. You know, if, if I'm going to try Cade Smith out there against those guys, I think I've got a good shot. I think I've got a shot. I think I've got a shot to win or, or sweep a series because I think Cade Smith's going to be a dude for us this year. All right, that's it for today. Thank you guys so much. I look forward to being back with you on Monday. Hopefully we're, we're celebrating – a nice series win and hopefully a sweep. I mean, I, I don't want to call that today, but, you know, we certainly could. I do think, though, you know, a sweep would be a very loud statement uh, considering this Long Beach State team is expected to be an NCAA tournament team and a team that contends for the Big West Championship. So, again, they're going to have some dudes. I just don't know they got enough of them. I think, I think their youth and inexperience and the fact that guys are being thrust into – different roles and leadership roles for the first time. There will be some growing pains. And again, I'm glad we get them early. They are a team once they get into their league, it's going to be very, very good. And I think that we benefit from that. Just got to go win the series. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.